Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching and joining me today is Patrice Gordon. Patrice is an executive coach who works with organisations to help them develop a more inclusive approach to leadership. She does this by empowering underrepresented voices through a concept called reverse mentoring. Reverse mentoring is also the name of her book and is the subject of her TED Talk which has received hundreds of thousands of views. I'm really pleased to say that Patrice joins us today for the podcast live from London. Patrice, thank you so much for joining us. Really happy to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. So um, I came across uh, your work courtesy of the TED Talk around, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say right now, around mentoring. Okay. And most people, most people um, obviously listening to the podcast would be pretty clear on on what mentoring is, the rationale for it, mm-hmm. and how it looks. Yep. Except your take on mentoring is different. And I'm wondering if you could, if we just kick things off by you explore, exploring with us what you mean when you talk about reverse mentoring. Yep, of course. So traditional concept of mentoring is where you have a more kind of tenured employee who is kind of helping to show the ropes to a new joiner to the organisation or someone a bit further down in the organisation. Now, reverse mentoring actually started with Jack Welch in the 1990s, where he was he was cognizant of the fact that his senior leaders and his, his exec team um, weren't really aware of the changes in digital technology that were up and coming. So he instructed his leadership team to kind of work with those newcomers into the organisation to make sure that they understood this technology that was coming down. Um, but most importantly, they didn't lose their competitive advantage. It reverse mentoring, you probably hear it a lot, talking about age and most um, recently about gender as well. The way that I look at reverse mentoring is overall the concept of matching a senior leader with a mentor who can provide an alternative perspective on the world. So it could be through age, could be through gender, ethnicity, sexuality or disability. And essentially, I look at it as a tool to help amplify those underrepresented voices. Because when we look around the leadership team table, um, they're obviously is quite commonly a similarity bias that exists. So there's not much diversity when it comes to senior tables. So it's kind of my way of bringing those underrepresented voices to the forefront. And um, as you already alluded to there, the, the yeah, if we look around the um, leadership tables, as you mm. say, or the structures, they're still overwhelmingly dominated, you know, with white blokes. Yeah. And so I'm interested, like when you... Um, propose this or when you um I guess when you put it to a group or, or when somebody listens to your talk or mm. they you know listen to a podcast like this yeah. and they're kind of going yeah I can't I get it but yeah it's not yeah that, that'd be good for other people what what's the, what's the most compelling rationale you can give because objectively speaking of course it makes sense but what's the what's the rationale you can give to somebody who they're quite comfortable at the table they're sat at mm. Oh, well, see, I always like to go in where they've already got past that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think always ultimately, easier. <laughs> ultimately, um, <clears throat> the way that I look at it is um, 
as organizations are we con- like we recognize that there's almost five generations in the workforce today so if we just take age as a subsection um, we know that the way that our organisations are run may be suitable for those around the leadership team table, but we've got a whole swathe of individuals that are coming through, right? So we've got the fact that Gen Zs will be 25% of the workforce in 2025. Can we afford to continue to build an organisation which is built around the subset of ideas that are around the leadership team table and um, that is future-proof? So in whichever sector that you're in, the majority of consumers will be also Gen Z, right? So if we just take that as an example, um, and there might be industries where actually you might look towards a more aging population, but ultimately what we want to do is make sure that we've got a business that is fit for future purpose. So if we look at it from a consumer lens, are we able to serve our consumers in the best way possible? Um, Likelihood is if you don't have a very diverse leadership team, the answer for that is no. So you've sort of presented quite a, a business case there. And I'm, and I'm also wondering, you know, because often, and I, I hear this a lot really informally, you know, it's like, oh, but it's just the new generation, Dan. Yeah. You know, that's just what they're like, Dan, yeah. you know. And, and, and does, so, again, I know you've already sort of positioned the way you work as well. Actually, they've, they've, got, they've got over that hurdle. Mm. But you must have come up against that a couple of times at least where people are looking back at you going, no, 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 it's them that need to change because they're the young people who don't understand. Yeah, that. absolutely. And, you know, I would say that, um, you know, through COVID, there's been an absolute acceleration of organisations having to listen more because, you know, we can no longer necessarily distinguish the work self versus the home self because um, we've all been in each other's living rooms, right? Um, but it's really understanding the fact that the future generations have such a voice and their voice is almost louder because, you know, through social media, through the mechanisms that we are now, we are now hyper-connected globally, right? Um, so a conversation happening in Australia is the same conversation that is happening in London right now. And before there used to be these filters to those conversations, right? But now, you know, those conversations are live and direct. And so I think that putting people at the heart of your business, regardless of like which sphere of diversity they come from, if you go with a people-centered approach, actually that's what's going to be good for your business in terms of running your organization. And that's what is going to be good for your customers. When we look at um, how discerning customers now are, like there is a whole swathe of customers who make their consumer choices based on the values of the organization that they're purchasing from. So we look at the fact that even if we're looking at stocks and bonds, the amount of individuals that are taking up ethical stocks and bonds has increased like tenfold over the past few years because people are much more concerned now about how they can use their pounds and dollars to influence organisations. And that's whilst that may be led from like, let's invert commas, the woke generation. Actually, I'm really grateful for them because the questions that they ask and the challenges that they pose Actually, I, you know, they have me questioning, like, why we accepted it this way this whole time. And actually them having the being brave enough to have those difficult conversations, which they don't really necessarily think is difficult sometimes. They're just like, it is just what it is. It actually makes us, as the other generations, really question and challenge, like, the way that we've been living this whole time, (laughs) right? Yeah. Is it that it was accepted or is it that, as you just put, like, the platforms that people have now Mm -hmm. is just so... I'm not going to use the word easy because I don't think it's easy. I actually wouldn't say that it's easy to step up and put your head up and talk about this stuff. It's it's just what would be the word? It's more practical to be able to do that on a on a bigger scale. 
if you'd have been brought up with that constant connection and, and oh, I've got a voice and I've got, mm. you know, I'm making this up, a million followers on TikTok or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Do you think you may have been more compelled to speak up about the things that you were seeing or or not? The thing is, I think there's a certain amount of privilege that you also have where you feel brave enough to speak up without fear of repercussion. So as like a black female, I probably wouldn't have felt safe to speak up because, you know, these digital footprints are around forever now right so it's not like you can say something tomorrow and it will disappear like no one will know of it it's like actually out there in the ether but what I think it does do is like sometimes I remember you know circumstances and situations even if you're not putting your voice forward the ability for you to view a conversation that's been that's been had and you and that conversation resonating with you so you don't feel like you're going through something alone is kind of almost the gift that we have now so regardless of which you know generation you're in the ability for us to witness conversations that are being had so you don't feel like you're doing this solo which then maybe gives you the courage and the confidence to then speak out maybe not live or online but maybe in your own organization because you know that it's not in your head and there are other people um, experiencing it at the same time as well. So I personally, if I was growing up with this amount of social media right now, I think I'd find it quite challenging. Um, I know this is not the direction of the conversation, but for me, I, I, I love the fact that I, through work, I've grown up knowing who I am, like without the interruption of social media, so to speak. But growing up with like, you know, you've got so many pulls on your attention. Um, how do you know whether, you know, and we've, you know, we've, I've watched the social dilemma. I've watched like the way that social media can impact our way, the way that we feel, our thoughts, our moods, etc. So growing up in that environment, I think I probably would have, I would definitely have found that quite challenging without finding myself first. So if we think about, because um, one of the paragraphs in your book really explores the idea of, there's a, virtually, I would say, every organisation now talks about, I say every, every organisation that has a public profile mm. talks about... Um, you know, diversity and inclusion and, mm-hmm. and you know the, the those words yeah, you know the, yeah. the w- and, and 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 your argument is that for many of them they are just words yeah um what separates what separates the and I, i'm guess I, I mean there's an obvious answer to this but i'm also wondering about what what, what separates in terms of a mindset in se- in terms of actual behaviors mm. um those that they're actually living it they're actually walking the walk and not just you know words words on a website Mm. um i think you you would have found like through covid and through 2020 21 like the number of organizations that um updated and clarified their mission statement with really strong words versus the number of organizations that have followed through on those words are less than probably 50 like i'm making up the numbers but it's not it's not a it's not a strong correlation shall we say um and I think it comes down to like the power of the people. I think the power of the brand, the power of the consumers as well. But ultimately, that leadership team recognizing that they have to take ownership of kind of driving that change. And I always think about um, this space around like growth and change and difference around the growth mindset. So we can think and use like. 10x growth mindset for like all of our sales strategies and it's like encouraging us to think outside the box think like blue sky thinking like what would we do if we had no like reservations and whilst this space can be politically charged and difficult and emotive 
ultimately, I always implore that leaders take on that same growth mindset when it comes to this space. And really, it really does take a a real acknowledgement of the state of the ego as well. And the reason I say that is because, you know, with sales strategies and with like business development and, and, and the corporation strategies, you can probably during the lifetime of your tenure in the organization, see the outcome really strongly if you put in a lot of effort with depending on the depth of the challenge within the organization in this DEI space you may not see a massive change within your tenure. Like there might be parts where you can like invert commas quick wins, but real cultural change, as we know, takes time. And so the reason why I say it's like a real challenge of the ego is because you are not going to be able to see those outcomes during your tenure. And so how many real senior leaders are willing to succumb to that and acknowledge that still like develop de- delivering on your like, commercial goals and strategy but also knowing that this is for the good of the organization there is a whole business case for diversity we won't touch on that but ultimately it's the right thing to do and you have to set the seeds and plant the seeds that you may not see grow during your tenure yeah it's that metaphor isn't it you plant a tree that you won't sit in the shade of or something along those lines yeah Yeah. and and as you say there's there's an ego part to that there's also a pragmatic part to that like you know it's going to take time it's going to take work it's going to take allocation of resources yeah. to do that and as you say if it takes a real mindful and I guess deliberate leadership team to to really put you know make that front and center of their strategy exactly so tell us a little bit then because you write your book uh, reverse mentoring which of course as is just international podcast rules we'll put a link to in, you, the, um, <laughs> in, in the show notes of course um but in your book um or, or sorry your book um was informed really I guess by first and foremost your experience of being invited to be a reverse mentor could you tell us just a little bit about that like how, how did it come about how are you feeling like just take us back to that time and then we'll dig into some of the key ideas in the book so I I call myself the unintended spokesperson and the reason I cannot be in an organization or witness things and not say anything about it not only say something about it, but actually want to contribute towards the solution of it as well. Um, So my background is like heavily, I did a degree in business. I specialized in accounting because I love structure. And I also specialized in psychology. And I always knew that I could do finance and then go into like psychology or HR, but I knew I couldn't do the other way around. And the reason I say that is I love structure and I love numbers and I love the story that numbers can tell, but I love people as well. And most importantly, I really love to understand people and what motivates them. So I've moved across like three big organisations, Royal uh, British Airways, where I spent six years, Royal Mail, where I was finance director for two years, and Virgin Atlantic, where I was for about six years. And in all of those organisations, I sat around a leadership team table. So usually the commercial leadership team and the finance leadership team. And I was always, because of my fast growth, so I became like a senior leader within six years and I was finance director before I was 30. And when you are, when you grow so quickly with so much youth, you still, you're still, I'm still very connected with the people that I started the organization with, as well as having the the honor of sitting around the leadership team table as well. So whereas some individuals around the leadership team table, it had been a while since they'd like entered the organization or been with like entry level individuals. For me, it was quite a short time span. 
which meant that I could have conversations um, with a coffee with with someone who I'd started with, who was quite junior in the organisation, so to speak, as well as spend the afternoon with a leadership team table who had been there for like 20, 30 years. So I'm able to transverse between the, the different levels very easily with like low ego, but also recognising that the conversations that have been had in these two spaces are incredibly different. And so that's why I could I couldn't really keep my mouth shut when I saw things where I thought, oh, actually, maybe we should make a different decision. And I can help with the solution, not just throwing stones, but actually this could be a potential solution or why don't we ask the question? So that's why I say I'm the unintended spokesperson. So when I came into Virgin, specifically, I wanted to join an organisation where I could leave a legacy. And knowing the brand and knowing what um, Richard stands for, I was really confident that Virgin would be the place. And I'm pleased Richard to say... Mr. Richard, Richard yeah, Richard, Branson. Sorry, Richard Branson. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just to be clear. Sir Or as you Branson. call him... As, sorry. <laughs> Sir Richard Branson. Or as you call him, Ricky. Rick, don't, don't, <laughs> he's not on my WhatsApp or anything, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that, um, you know, from I just knew it would be a culture that would be receptive to those ideas to build better. And one of the first things that I did was when I came in, I was really surprised that we didn't have a finance graduate program. I was like, this is an amazing brand. Like, why do we not have a finance graduate? Everyone's like, oh, we thought about it before, but we haven't really got around to it. So I spent some time with HR and some other finance leaders to bring in the first finance apprentice program. I think that was 2018. Um, And then I think um, then I became, I was like, really interested in women's development. So why weren't women moving through the organisation at a leadership pace such as men? Um, and we in, we invested in a programme called Springboard and it's global. So I don't know if you've heard about it in Australia, but it's ultimately for like um, entry level women within the workforce with like no management kind of responsibilities. So it's helping them to build their confidence, self-awareness and assertiveness. And so I was, I was like, this is really interesting. Like, why are all the facilitators from HR? And then Estelle, who's now the chief HR officer from for Virgin, was like, well, if you want to do it, like, we'll get you sponsored. And so they allowed me to be the first non-HR person to be a facilitator for Springboard. And for me, it's always the case of like HR are there. They are, I call them the conscience of the organisation. They're help, there to help us with our structure and our processes and make sure we do the right thing. And they give us the tools. But it's up to all the leaders within the organisation to implement those tools and use them. So I've always kind of, and because my, my thing is about people and like really understanding how they work, I'm always keen to like bring as much as HR into my day role as possible and encourage other leaders to make sure we're not defaulting to, well, that's HR's role. But ultimately, it should be part of everything that we do. So then we have something, we had something at Virgin Atlantic called Be Yourself. So how do we bring more of ourselves to work? And is it create, creating that psychological safety to do that as well? And one of the areas that um, Estelle thought would be great to help leaders understand people who are different to them was through this tool called reverse mentoring. So when the opportunities came up, I, Estelle and I spoke quite frequently and she asked me to, if, whether I'd mind being Craig's first <laughs> reverse mentor. So a little bit of a trial. And I, so Craig Krieger was the former um, CEO of Virgin Atlantic. And I had interacted with Craig quite a lot through my finance role. Um, so I had had meetings with him, but this was a little bit different because this is not just, this is what I think we should do. This is kind of bearing my soul and sharing my whole lived experience with him. But Estelle set set us up really nicely. um, And he was really um, open and honest about the fact that he had no black women in his inner circle. So personally, and there there was no 
um, senior black females at the leadership team table. And he wanted to understand like my lived experience and my understanding both pre-Virgin and within Virgin in terms of what could they do a bit better in order to encourage a bit more diversity. So that's how I ended up as the first reverse mentor. I mean, when, when I hear you talk there, you know, like you, you want talking about, you know, your lived experience yeah. and all that. Is everyone going to be up for that? How do we find the right people to do the reverse mentoring? Yeah. You know, like, do we just go to all people of colour? Do we go to all people with, uh, you know, form of disabilities? Yeah. Or just, like it's, yeah, it's a bit awkward, I'm, I'm isn't real, it? Yeah, that, that, that's the bit. And it's even awkward yeah. for me to ask. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's two chapters in the book about this, Dan, but I'll give you the short version. Um, but ultimately, I think the reason I made a good mentor and then I became the lead mentor for the pilot, and it was because I not only shared... I was I, In my role as finance, you have to be very um, objective and diplomatic. So I had that skill set down. But if, if you don't, then that can be taught. It's not a, like a problem. But ultimately, because I spoke for myself, but also on behalf of a wider group without taking liberties in portraying the fact that I knew everything about that group it was kind of like this is my perspective and actually I've spoken to other people and this is the perspective I bring that's what makes a good mentor but I think people who are part of ERGs which are employee resource groups are good people to reach out to Um, but ultimately um, I always recommend it's like a nomination process because it is a burden to share your lived experience with someone who you don't have a relationship with so to speak or even if you did like it's a private thing that you're bringing to the workplace and so there is a level of seriousness that comes with that and a, a, a level of weight so I don't believe that mentors should be selected I, re- I recommend they are self-selected so you're really clear with them about we are going through this process. We are launching this program. This is our intention for the program. So one of the things that I talk to lots of organisations about is like, what's your intention for it? Because it's not a silver bullet. And we need to ensure that there are other interventions and a full DEI plan surrounding it. So it's not like, it's not a listening exercise and it's not the organisation being an asshole. I use this term a lot. So you're not asking of individuals or groups consistently with going into a black hole and you're not committing to any action on the back of those questions and putting people through that, right? So even if you've done it in the past, it's around being um, conscious and observant of the fact that you might have not done it properly and you might have made some mistakes, but then coming out to say, right, this is our intention with the programme. These are the leaders that we are thinking of, like these are the leaders that are going forward or we're selecting the leaders that are going to go forward. And we would really like mentors from a range of different backgrounds to help shape the future strategy of the organization so it has to be framed around these are the intentions and this is the outcome we're seeking as opposed to we're just doing reverse mentoring because it's the latest thing to do we've heard other companies that are doing it so if when I was researching the book and actually the book arose from the fact that after I did the TED talk so many people reached out to me to share mostly their negative experiences about reverse mentoring um and mostly from a mentor perspective where they said that they felt this additional burden that had been placed on them without real action demonstrated from the organisation, but not necessarily after the fact. But when we tracked back and when I dug into these deep conversations even more, it was like, actually, it was just set up without little framing. So it was like, this is where I now ask the questions of like, what's your intention? Where does it sit with the strategy? Um, It can't be a silver bullet. What, what power 
are you do you recognize you have leaders and how much power are you willing to use with the outcomes that you expected to get from the program so it all loops into the fact that the mentors need to know what they're signing up for um and in order that the organization then needs to make sure that they have a plan both pre and post before they get involved in it yeah they make that commitment ahead of time that absolutely we're not just going to ask you a question yeah. or a series of questions and do nothing with it exactly. the intention is we are going to grow yeah as a result of what we learn is exactly. that fair yeah. yes because as i'm hearing you talk I, I mean again you know i'm trying to empathize um with with you know people who perhaps have been in the workplace and perhaps you know they've felt they've had to keep a lot of who they are to themselves in yeah. order to progress yeah yeah you know, and 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 then an organization says no actually we we want them we want to hear more from you i, I imagine there's a fair amount of trust that's required from the mentors to to open themselves up to that absolutely which is the framing part so mm. so section one of the book chapter one is like societal context and why reverse mentoring matters now which we kind of touched on and the second is organizational trust and what the prerequisites are because ultimately if we tried programs before um or you know when you look at uh, i look at the employee engagement surveys particularly around those trust those trust questions and like psychological safety like do you feel like it's safe to share your views around here those kinds of questions because ultimately in some of those organizations that I've started a consultation with I kind of advise not starting if the level of organizational trust is low or we need to keep it in a bubble where like or a subsection of the organization where it is high because what you would end up doing is damaging the trust even more or individuals um because it's not psychologically safe for them to enter into that relationship or they don't feel it is, then they do it under duress. A, you might not get the insights that you want and B, you might psychologically damage those individuals because it's not a safe environment for them to speak up in. So we've spoken about some of those big picture um, concepts, those ideas of societal context, all of that. And and so I'm wondering, right, let's say that you, you, know, you put the call out, you, you find your leaders... Who, you know the senior leaders who are who are going to be the mentees you found your um reverse mentors who are you know they've they've, they've gone into it volitionally they're well yeah. aware um, and and the, let's be clear the organization is is super authentic in this that they, they they're doing it for all the right reasons yeah. best intentions what are some um like for example um you know if i let's say i'm the senior leader and um all of a sudden it's one of my team members who well they seem a perfect fit for me can you yeah. explain why they're not? <laughs> because um, I try to, as much as possible, like 95% of the time, not match individuals in the same hierarchy. And that's because it's really difficult, once you know something about that individual, to disassociate that from the performance reviews or conversations that you might be having around um, growth, development, or interaction. So whichever like positive it's the horns or halo right your 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 natural affiliation with them because you know them at a deeper level is probably it's not fair for either of you to be in that position so as much as possible i try to separate out um not in the same hierarchy and if the organization is large enough in a different department as well because we don't want those conversations but like if you had like two levels between you or three levels between you and that person is sharing with you their view as to why they didn't get promoted or how they find the culture in the organization it's going to be really hard for you to have a meeting with their bosses like a leadership team session and not have like even ask pointed questions when you know the art you have an alternative viewpoint 
Um, so for that reason, we don't recommend matching in the same hierarchy. Um, but it comes down to the questions and the intention, because ultimately some of the challenges I've had is, this is great. Um, organizations and some leaders are really clear as to like what feeds my bonus, right? What feeds my pay, what feeds my bonus? So purely from a financial perspective, why would I want to be matched with someone in a different department? Because they're not going to help me fix my problem, right? But ultimately, we're trying to think outside of the box into that growth mindset piece. So you've got your organizational culture, top level, and then you'll have your departmental culture as well. The likelihood is the overarching organization culture will feed heavily into the department culture. But on top of that, it helps you also develop an enterprise-wide mentality too. So, you know, there is often with leaders like close shop and a silo when it comes to like, this is what happens in my shop, this is what happens in your shop, like, and then collectively we get together as a leadership team. But this encourages that building also of psychological safety within those leadership teams too. Um, so it's an overall enterprise piece where you can still take those insights because I'm fully expecting conversations to be had at a leadership team level to say, right, how do we fix like, the overall talent problem, for example, because that's not going to be a department-specific piece. I mean, some STEM some STEM subjects, yes, um, because you need to be a little bit more targeted because you want to build things from bottom up, for example, like through early careers, etc. But yeah, ultimately, definitely not in the same hierarchy. As much as much mixing as possible. Let's be clear on what the intentions are and what the we use data as well. So I should have said starting with data to look at the makeup, the the diverse makeup of an organisation can also help because then you're looking at it to see, right, actually, where's the problem? Let's see whether it's funnel. Let's see whether it's promotions. If we can dig into that and have a non-emotional conversation about where our foundation and baseline is, then we can use some of those conversations to then help drive where we should be focusing some of our efforts. So... When I'm hearing you talk about that and the different hierarchies and getting people from different teams and different areas of the business, that that strikes me as being um, more viable when I have those bigger you know, pool of, of departments or hierarchies to draw from. I'm yeah. wondering in, whether in your experience or just what you've seen, how do how do smaller organisations do that? You know, small businesses, for example, um, you know, is there a, who perhaps in their perhaps even in their employee. Um, structure they they def perhaps it's not that diverse at the moment because of either unintentional yeah. or yeah, yeah. hopefully not deliberate but let's stick with unintentional mm-hmm. you know just the way it's happened um have you got experience of, of how smaller organizations can navigate this space Do you know what actually a lot of the i'm having a lot of conversations with like entrepreneurs and small businesses at the moment it's, it's funny you've got two camps you've got those who are like the real creative lot who recognize they need that diversity of thought within the room because actually their skill set and their focus and their um, priority is something different. So you need someone who's good with numbers or you need someone who's, and you need that range. Um, Or you have those who are conscious, but also like just have mates doing stuff because that's how you sometimes start out when you're an entrepreneur, right? And actually your mates are actually just probably a reflection of who you are. Like, and that's, that's just how it the cookie and then it grows into a larger organization and by by osmosis it kind of just grows as it has planted in in its infant form um and then you've got some other organizations who are like right okay how do i set this up right from the start and it's more principles led 
So it's kind of actually, you know, where, like, where do you want to be? What's your vision? So encouraging them to do the pause in the same way as we do um, strategy work in terms of like, where do you want to be in five years for like your business and your P&L? It's taking those same principles to say, right, actually, what do you want to stand for as an organisation like in terms of being mission led? And therefore, like, what do you need to do now in order to build your business right for the future? So it might be some conversations like that and bringing together like um, like founders forums together to say, right, actually, this is like one of the problems that we're tackling. So, for example, I am as part of like what I plan to do in this next chapter is I'm hosting like monthly sessions where I'm going through each of the chapters of the book and inviting entrepreneurs and organizations. So people from my network through LinkedIn, but also through like my shared workspace at Soho Works, where I'm inviting those um, entrepreneurs in to have that conversation hosting a panel with people who are different to me so my network is very much like airline finance commercial and I've had to like stretch out of my comfort zone like this book writing has been phenomenal because I've been able to have so many different conversations where I wouldn't have the license to have those conversations before or be invited to right which is a bit like you right you have this amazing ability to like just dip your toes into everything because that's like the persona that you've embodied now right and so for me, like when I'm thinking about, right, how am I going to get this message out and how do I get people to think differently? I'm hosting these monthly sessions where we're going through each of the chapters of the book. I'm like given a, well, I'm not going through it, but I'm given like a brief synopsis and then going out to say, right, I've got a panelist who works for um, a social impact leader for a media agency and someone who's got a DEI consultancy. I am not a DEI expert. I'm like a reverse mentoring expert and I am a financial and, and a commercial executive. So that's my, and I'm an exec coach. That's my skill set. And I can, I'm a good dot joiner. So I join the dots and I can bring stories together. But I recognize actually, I want to understand from an advertising perspective, how does this come about? How does this manifest itself? So when we look at social impact, but also from a DEI perspective, an LGBTQ plus perspective, which I do not ever profess to speak on, I need to bring those individuals in the room. So collectively together, we can have a wonderful conversation, but also open up for questions in the room because people who are either in the middle of the journey, starting the journey, or just don't have got a clue where to start, we need to have those forums where they can have those conversations. And through that, it's almost informal networking, which is like, I think I, you know, I've got this problem or this is the thing that I'm really interested in. And, and we exchange data and we exchange kind of energy around the things that we're interested in. And so since I've been in this space, it's been really interesting to like not move from the transactional to the relational because it's not necessarily um, I need this from you and this is what I need right now. This is actually I'm really interested in this and I'd like to continue this conversation not being really directive about what the outcome might be. I guess it's like being genuinely curious, right? And I've, I tell you, like the amount of magic that I like, I'm a curious person for the things that I am interested in, right? But over the past six months where I've been working for myself um, and I have been trying to figure out what this next chapter looks like for me, I have intentionally been forcing myself to do like one different thing every week, which I probably would never have necessarily done before, but forcing myself out of my comfort zone and really sitting in that. It's not uncomfortable, but it's not comfortable, if that makes sense. So just sitting in a stretch. Yeah, Yeah. a stretch Um, and not knowing where it's going to take me and not having, not going into sessions thinking this is what I'm going to get out of this session because I'm used to like, bam, bam, bam. This, these are the sessions. This is what I need to achieve for today. This is what I need to drive. And now I'm in a space where 
I literally have to sit with it in that moment and think, right, okay, I, this is all really interesting, and, and, but I have to force myself to do that. But you can only imagine, like, I have the gift of time to be able to do that now. But people who are busy, execs, and we, you know, when we look at thinking fast and thinking slow, our default is to think fast, right? In this world, we have decisions to make, we've got things to drive. We go to our default um, decision-making functionality in order to get to the decision in the quickest way. And one of the biggest challenges I have with leaders is around the fact that DEI takes time. (laughs) That's the biggest challenge, um, that when we have diversity, the studies show that decision-making does take longer. However, the studies also show that when the decisions take longer and there's more healthy challenge, better decisions are made and more diverse teams bring greater revenue, right? So this is, again, going back to that ego thing where you might not see it this quarter, next quarter, this year, but in the long run, you are building this organisation which is sustainable for the future. It's not this. I mean, I think health and exercise is often used as a metaphor, but it's it's very similar, right? We all know the benefits intellectually of being active, eating healthily, you know, all that stuff. But who's got time for that, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've got other things true, to yeah, do. It's very true, yeah, it's very true. Like, yeah, it's organisational yeah. health versus, and personal health, yeah. right? You're not yeah. going to see it immediately, but you have to no. put in the time. And you don't the do one session. You don't do one <laughs> session and suddenly go, geez, look at that. Yeah. Like, you know, look at that. Heart rate down, cholesterol down, you know, yeah, body fat down, we're good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... I mean, it's it's such an obvious thing, and yet people still fall prey to, as you say, the thinking fast. Yeah, you know, it's against all their better judgment most of the time. Yeah. You know, their better judgment, and they, and they just revert to to this. Um, there's so many questions popping off in my head here. Um, what, one of the things I'm I'm interested in, and this is one of the lessons that um, you talk about in the in the TED talk, is you know, it. it I imagine there would be situations where, despite all the frameworks that are in place and um, everyone's best intentions, it must be hard not to fall back into those roles of, you know, if I've got someone who's three levels above me, maybe yeah. a bit older than me, more experienced, all that. It must be hard for me if I'm the mentor here, try, you know, and they're supposed to be asking me stuff or, or learning from me it must be hard to to guard against yeah. falling back into oh yeah. well, actually no they're the senior member of staff here yeah it's really hard um so part of the the setup that i do is around um for the mentors and the mentees but specifically the mentees is to assume the position which is around like some exercises that i we do a training session beforehand but some exercises like pre the sessions to make sure that they get into that mindset and it's again it's the slowdown of what do I want to get out of this session? What questions can I pose to them beforehand um, so that they can get their, gather their thoughts and give me their best answer? Um, also around the fact that, you know, there might be, and I, you know, people talk to me about reciprocal mentoring all the time. Like, can we just do reciprocal mentoring because it kills two birds with one stone? And I think there is a place for reciprocal mentoring. But the way that I look at it is, I find it really difficult and leaders find it really difficult to assume that position of novice. And therefore, if you're in a session and you're trading, like, okay, the first half an hour is me, the second half an hour is you. I think that mindset shift in that moment is really difficult and challenging. So for those organizations who are intent on doing that, I kind of ask them to focus the first part of the like three sessions on the reverse mentoring. And if you really want to switch, you do it in the last three sessions. But my hope and intention is, 
through this great relationship that has been kind of cultivated that like maybe outside of the sessions if it if it's immediate but definitely post like the initial formal relationship that these individuals become good work friends or colleagues so you know if something pops up the whole point is you're expanding your circle so that leader could have a decision a year down the line but because they've continued to cultivate that re- that friendship and that relationship they can easily drop an email to that person to say we've got this thing coming up completely confidentially this is going to hit the business this is what I'm thinking about it I'd really like your opinion without it feeling like a, a drop in the ocean because or like something that's a bit left field because you continue to cultivate that relationship in the same way as you or I would call our friends or business associates to like bounce an idea off them because we've got social we've got social capital there we've got we've invested in that emotional bank account and we know that we can pick up the phone and speak to them that's ultimately what my aim would be for these mentors and mentees post a relationship formal relationship closing so if, if there's people listening and it's like okay this sounds interesting how do we and, and there will be there'll be people here who go oh my goodness the, i'm gonna jump str- <laughs> i'm gonna jump straight into this yeah um what what advice or or sort of and, and this is gonna sound wrong but what brakes might you put on them before they just jump straight into this yeah um because they'll jump in with the best intentions but my yeah you know going back to some of the th- things which have come up i'm curious like what would be a really sensible way of going about this as opposed to a get stuck into it kind of way I think you look at the information that you have already so and the organizational surveys that you've had the initiatives that have worked the initiatives that have failed like really have a come to Jesus moment when it comes to like the things that have happened in the past and what work what has worked and what hasn't I think when you go out to the organization just be really honest about right we're going to try this thing and it doesn't seem as though this is uh, left field, but actually we've really... Sorry, that's my dog walking in the background. That's what we're, a fan, sorry. we're a fan of dogs, don't worry. We're a fan of dogs. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Um, if you assess the information and you assess where you have been and where, where you want to go as an organisation, I think it's really important for you to do that before you start, right, let's dive into something new because you don't want to fall under the same traps again. So what, what didn't work before? Was it the lack that lack of leadership commitment was it the lack of time were people not busy did you not brief the participants properly was were you not clear about your intention for the program like these are all things that have come up in my research right so it's really important for you to just assess where you are before you dive into something new and then when you've got your learnings from that as a leadership team be really honest about where it worked and where it didn't work before to your like amongst yourselves figure that out but then also with your people, really just say, actually, hands up, like, this is what we tried before, it didn't work, or this is the part that did work, and we recognise where we could do better here. And this is, we've addressed this in this programme. Because I think, with all the will in the world, we're never going to get it 100% right. And I think that a bit, a bit, and quite a lot of humility goes a long way when it comes to dealing with people. And in you know during covid especially you will have seen organizations not done some things brilliantly but they're the way that they've handled it and the way they've done things the way they've been transparent with some of their decision making and their evaluations of situations has really helped to bring people along with you so when you talk about organization trust some of those questions around engagement around like do you trust the leadership to make the right decisions for the business do you trust the leadership to make the right decision concerning you? Like these are some of the questions that you pull out when we're looking at trust. 
and ultimately those organizations which who are able to display that level of humility are those that are going to have those people signing up recognizing actually you know what we know this is not going to be perfect but the intentions are clear they recognize where they've gone wrong before and then i'm really here for this organization to try to make it a better place i mentioned before about the 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 challenges that small businesses might have with this and you you know you spoke about basically networking and connecting with with um with other other small businesses or other entrepreneurs or whatever a lot of the work that um I and my team do here are in schools and are in sporting organizations, mm-hmm. like professional sporting organizations, as well as the corporate. I mean, I can immediately make connections as to how it would work for our big corporate clients. Mm-hmm. But with schools or with you know professional sporting teams, so in the NRL here, the National Rugby League, uh-huh. right, 50% of the athletes are from Pacific nations, so uh-huh. Tonga, Samoa, and yet very... I, I, well, there's no head coaches from Pacifica yeah. um, backgrounds, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, in schools, I'd argue that the student population is far more diverse than the teaching population, yeah. for example. Yeah. And and I know because I cast a cursory glance over um, Twitter every now and then that there is some significant issues in education when it comes to understanding people of different cultures. Absolutely, um, yeah. Everything, everything from hairstyles, language choices, eye contact. Yeah. Um, so I'm, many I'm nuances. Yeah, like it is complex. Yeah. I think education, I think you're right with sporting. We have the same problem in the UK in terms of across the Premier League. The US has a similar problem when it comes to um, NFL coaching as well. Mm. Like actually all sporting mm. coaching where a significant number of the NFL team are African-American and the head coaches are like the, the, the inverse almost in terms of representation. Yeah. Um, but th- there is there is something around, you know, attractiveness to these industries and promotion and path within these industries where actually the systems that we have set up favour the majority because they're set around the majority and it means that adjustments need to be made to be representative of like the new majority, right? Because actually the majority has changed over time, but our systems haven't changed to represent that. So there is a huge amount of work to be done. Yeah. Um, I, I think reverse mentoring is one of the tools to help understand it, but I think it's more systemic um, like policies and processes, which if adhered to will help to address some of that but yeah underlying systemic bias clearly exists but we need to have the policies and process around it as well i think it was arthur ash spoke about you know do what you can with what you've got where you are or something along those lines and so you know i'm curious to hear if someone you know what 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 would you recommend somebody you know listening now yeah what, what what can they be doing so I always say my intention with this next chapter of my life is to change my world. And that means that everything that I touch, can I do it with that lens of making sure that underrepresented voices are heard? But also, am I using all the tools in my toolkit? So similar to what you said, are you doing what you can with what you got, right? So um, I think that my my voice, which is ultimately my power, is something that I've only recently stepped into over the past four years. And right, li- rightfully so, because I've done the work to be listened to, right? But it is a privilege and an honour for my voice to be heard and for people to listen to me. And with that, I take it very seriously. I think that we all have positions of power and we have to be really intentional about how we use that power. 
So when you're in organ, like if you run an organization, whether it's got five people in it, whether it's got 5,000 people in it, you have a certain degree of power. The way that you interact with individuals, you will have a power sphere around you. Whether you have children, the school they go to, the interactions that you have with other children or other parents or the school system, we all have power. And it's being really intentional about how you use it and being really conscious of the fact of how misuse of power or the lack of understanding about the power that you hold can impact other people. So I think it's just being more conscious about like not asking everyone to walk around on tiptoes, but actually just being more curious and conscious about the impact that you have um, and be really self-aware. And the only way you're going to be self-aware is by adopting that growth mindset and like asking questions and being prepared to be wrong and being humble. Um, like for me, every day is a school day. And it's and it's interesting because I, I get it wrong. I get it, something wrong every day, and but that's okay. The people around me are pretty are very forgiving, and they know my heart and they know my intention. And I think the more that you can cultivate that transparency and honesty with people around you, the more you're going to develop as an individual as well. So that's what I encourage everyone to do. And I encourage everybody to um, find out more about you. So tell me, what's the best way for people to connect with you and your work? Please follow me on LinkedIn and it's just Patrice Gordon um, on Instagram at Miss Patrice Gordon and um, not really on Twitter. So, yeah, those two forums, please. That's, I reckon that's the best way to be. Twitter's a very <laughs> strange Redfield. place. It's a very strange place. Someone did try to reverse mental on TikTok. The TikTok channel's coming, apparently. I'm yeah. like, okay, oh, I'm okay. trying to get down with the kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the book, and of Reverse course the Mentoring. Book, reverse Mentoring and Removing Barriers and Building Belonging in the Workplace is available on all channels. All right. Well, as I mentioned, all the links um, will be in the show notes there so people can just click away and uh, find what they want. So, um, yes, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today, Patrice. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all. It's been a blast. Thank you. As I mentioned, all the links to connect with Patrice and get a book and watch her TED Talk, they're all in the show notes. If you found that conversation worthwhile, as always, please feel free to share this as far and as wide as you can in your networks. Please also take a moment to rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment on the podcast if you like, because doing these little things helps the algorithms send this podcast far and wide to people who are yet to hear of us. If you are interested in the work that we do, or if you have a question that you'd like us to consider for an upcoming Q&A episode, or perhaps you'd like to suggest a guest for an upcoming episode, then please head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page there. But until our next episode, thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Take it easy.